Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, Comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hi everyone, I'm Eric Garneau, and this is part two of our spooky, seasonally appropriate episode of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast, featuring the theme Horror Stories. This week, we've got frights from storytellers Brian Willey, Jared Cannonberg, Jim McDonnell, and Lisa Burton, plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, Claire Friedman, and Jim Snedeker, including a mini-tribute to maybe the progenitor of horror-themed rock and roll, um, but not the Monster Mash. I guess I should lay that expectation out there now. You will not hear the Monster Mash in this episode. I know that's a heartbreaker. Um, let's again thank our sponsors for this week's episode, Cards Against Humanity, and of course thank the Chicago Podcast Co-op as well. They're very great. Uh, if you want to be cool and help us like the co-op, you can rate and review us on iTunes uh, for a start. That's very cool. Or you can hit up our Patreon page at patreon.com slash That has some bonuses in it for you as well. Um, before we get to the show, let me do a quick plug in case we have any listeners downstate. Uh, Kevin Reeder and I are recording a really cool Your Stories episode at the University of Illinois this Thursday night. Uh, that's my alma mater, so it'll be like coming home. It's really exciting. Uh, the show's at 9 p.m. at Allen Hall, and it's the capper. It's a Kevin's week as Allen's artist-in-residence, which is super exciting for him. Uh, he's like teaching classes and doing workshops and stuff down there all week, so that's amazing. Uh, if you're in Champaign-Urbana, that show's open to the public, so come on by Thursday night, say hi, we'd love to see you. And now, let's get spooky! So, there's one artist who, for me, is synonymous with Halloween, and we're going to do two of his songs. Jack Johnson! Jack, yeah, Jack Johnson! No, this is some you mean DMV. Jack-O-Lantern Johnson! <laughs> Bravo! Yaddy! Bravo! Show over! Yeah. Show over! Um, I don't think this gentleman had any songs on the Halloween soundtracks, but he had two songs on... Harry Nilsson. <laughs> What's the soundtrack this guy had two songs on that we were talking about earlier? Oh, Friday the 13th, Friday. part six, Jason Lives. Yes, he had two songs on the soundtrack. We're playing neither of them. but uh, <laughs> I his, learned one of them by mistake. <laughs> his whole, he writes too many songs about Frankenstein. Yeah, too many songs about Frankenstein. His whole oeuvre is kind of Halloween-inspired. Uh, this is the classic of the two songs, uh, and it's called No More Mr. Nice Guy. 
One, two, three, four. famous song about Frankenstein. Okay, it's more famous, but it wasn't the one from Friday the 13th. That's true. assumed, like, Frankenstein's gotta be that one. Yeah. It's what movie was this in, though? Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yeah. Party time. Wayne's World. Two? No, just one. Two was Arrow. Yeah. yeah. I'm an idiot. Get out of here. How dare you, Munchuck. <laughs> sorry. Whenever you're ready. He's got his stirrups on and shit. All right. Dwight said drum warrior over there. <coughs> hey, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, we got backstage patches to Alice Cooper. <laughs> Feed my Frankenstein. <laughs> 
had done an MTV Unplugged, it would have sounded like that. <laughs> also, earlier today while I was learning that song, I came up with, I think, a huge missed opportunity for Weird Al. Read my R.L. Stein. <laughs> You're welcome. That one was free. Guys, coming up next, first to the stage in the second half, a wonderful storyteller. He has become a Your Stories pro this year. I love what he has to say all the time. Please welcome Brian Willie. <laughs> I think everybody's got, uh, well, a lot of people have got some kind of uh, strange story, ghost story, paranormal type event, you know, um, if you really think about it. And this is the one that happened to me that I remember to this day. Sanctuary. When I was in college, drinks were cheap, people smoked indoors and everywhere, and Chicago was colder. It just was. The winters brought mountains of snow and sub-zero temperatures with icy winds and it was on just such a day that I went to visit some friends. I was in college with them, but they lived in an apartment with actual rooms, and they had an adult-sized refrigerator, while I lived on campus in one tiny room with a little toy refrigerator. 
you could get a lot more beer in their fridge. And there was no worry of a resident advisor coming by to investigate the sweet, sweet smell of marijuana. <laughs> so I went to their place pretty often. The boys were less excited about living there. They made the best of it, but they started saying their place was haunted almost from the moment that they moved in. At the time, the neighborhood still had some old pool halls, some bars, some music halls around, as the full gentrification of Lincoln Park hadn't happened yet. And some of the old-timers that you'd meet in these places told stories about cemeteries in the area, family burial plots, church cemeteries, even Indian burial grounds. The story we heard was that the corner of Southport and Fullerton had been just such a cemetery before someone built a three-flat on it during the 20s or the 30s. I was a modern-day college student, though, and believed more in my father's mantra of it's the live ones you have to worry about, not the dead ones. (laughs) So I figured their stories and concerns were the freaked-out, paranoid ramblings of guys who smoked too much weed and drank too much beer. Plus, they had an actual criminal gang living across the street from them that they didn't get along with. And that was no doubt stressful. I had taken Psych 101 and purchased the optional DSM book, (laughs) which is for for diagnosing mental health issues, so I felt pretty confident labeling them as paranoid weed smokers who are also very stressed. (laughs) But let's go back. Back to that icy afternoon in Chicago and the dying light from a steely gray sky. By the time I walked over and arrived at their door, it was nearly dark and I was very cold. It wasn't cool to dress appropriately for the weather, so we all dressed in black t-shirts with untucked flannel shirts over that, sometimes with a bomber or a leather jacket over that, unzipped, of course. Gloves made it hard to light things, so we usually just jammed our hands in our pockets. Thank God for knit watch caps, which we allowed ourselves to wear. I walked into the warm front room with its exposed light bulb hanging from the ceiling and its staticky TV showing football, while the stereo played minor threat. It was loud and chaotic, half a dozen guys yelling, everyone already buzzed except me. But there was an emergency. They had run out of beer. The huge suburban house-sized fridge had somehow run out of beer. There were loud debates about walking or driving to the liquor store, and finally they all piled out toward the car. One of the guys that actually lived there turned around just before walking out and said, Hey, we'll be right back. Help yourself to some herb. If anything weird happens, just go outside for a while or meet us at Stan's bar. I didn't know what he meant by that, but I thought it was nice that he gave me a contingency plan, like we were in middle school and they were my parents going out for the evening. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Walking down the long hallway to the kitchen, I double-checked the fridge, hoping that somehow a beer had been missed. But no, it was cold, white, and completely empty, like my soul. (laughs) But the apartment was warm, almost too warm thanks to the radiators, and there was a large bong on the coffee table in the front room and a great record collection to leaf through. So I threw some bad brains on and sat down on one of the lumpy, squeaky chairs and began loading up Fredonia, which is what we call that particular smoking device. (laughs) The TV signal got worse, though, and I stood to fuck around with the aerial antenna. Then the light hanging from the ceiling started to flicker. I decided that was a bigger priority, and I got up on a chair to mess with it. I grabbed it too high up, though. I didn't realize it was an exposed wire, and bam! I woke up on the floor of the apartment with an unpleasant tingling all through my arm. My head hurt where I'd slammed it against the floor. Now it was dark, except for the flickering light from the TV and the glow from the kitchen down the hall. I heard the back door open and heavy footsteps in the kitchen, drawers opening. I yelled, hey, bring me a beer. No response. Quiet. Now I was mad. 
Bring me a beer already. I just got fucking electrocuted, you assholes. <laughs> Nothing. I got up with my half-asleep arm and my throbbing head and the static light from the TV and pounded down the hallway, ready to explain to them in detail why they sucked as human beings. It was bone cold in the kitchen, and there were drawers open, but there was nobody there, and the heavy back door was closed, with its two padlocks locked. The furious words disappeared from my throat, and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I double-timed it down the hallway and into the warm, dark, flickering front room. My heart was beating fast, and my mouth was dry, and now I was absolutely convinced I was being watched. I bolted out the front door, and I slammed it shut behind me. I booked it to Stan's Tap Room, uh, which is a place that sells you liquor to go, but is also a bar. Stan's had the biggest pit bull I've ever seen behind the counter, and it was the first and only time that it looked away from me when I walked in, instead of staring at me hard until I reached the bar. Stan, the owner and bartender, told me I looked like I'd seen a ghost. I quietly sat down, I ordered a whiskey, and I waited for the boys to find me. Thank you. Creepy up in here tonight, guys. Oh, man. Hope there's no ghosts in here. Uh, <laughs> girls. <laughs> Coming up next to the stage, it is a real pleasure for me to introduce this gentleman. Uh, I uh, took tennis lessons with this dude in grade school, making him technically my oldest friend to ever do this show. He currently lives in the Quad Cities, but came out here to Chicago to have a Chicago weekend, including this show, which is really cool. He's also our biggest background Patreon. God bless you, sir. Um, when I asked how I should introduce him, he said he gets to play for a living. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Jared Cannonberg. <laughs> I was really excited to come do this show, and Eric said, it's horror stories, and I'm like, yes! And then I'm here, and I'm like, I'm a wuss! You guys are scaring me, so stop it! I'm, I'm a very anxious person, so going through life is horrific to me. Um, and I could sit here and probably do a one-man show about horror stories. I have an ex-wife, that's scary. I have children, that's scary, and I work with zero to three-year-olds. That's a shitstorm of scary. Um, but this isn't about any of that. This is about my biggest fear. And it's got to be big, right? Um, I'll, I'll start out by telling you where it first happened or where I first encountered it. It was at House on the Rock. I was in like fifth or sixth grade. And if you don't know what House on the Rock is, it's like hoarders meets lifestyles of the rich and famous. Um, <laughs> This guy had way too much money and found a lot of shit, and he put it all in one house. So you go through it, and it's really cool in most of the rooms, but then you get to this one room, and there's a carousel, oh, that's sweet, and weird decorations, and then you start noticing there's things staring at you. It's a whole bunch of fucking porcelain dolls. <laughs> Fifth grade, I was the tallest, biggest boy in class. Everybody else had yet to hit puberty at my age, apparently. But I was 6'1", maybe, by, by the time I was in 6th grade. And pushing 170. <laughs> and here I am with all of my shorter, tinier friends, who are we're the cool kids in school. I have to be because I can sit on somebody and kill them. And the other kids are just cool because they're cool. Um... But I'm sitting here starting to have a panic attack in the middle of this room. That's not cool. I run. 
I can't find the exit. <laughs> it's a big room. I'm, I'm almost tearing up thinking about this right now. And I finally find the exit. I'm fetal position, and I'm getting laughed at. The big guy is scared of dolls. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate some sympathy. Where were you 20-some years ago? <laughs> so that's where it started. I don't know why, but they scare me. So as I progress through life, I'm doing all right. Don't buy porcelain dolls. <laughs> Don't really find them in Toys R Us, and that's where I hang out. They're too, they're too expensive, and I play with kids for a living. Um, so I go off to Germany. I'm in college, ha, ha, ha. And I meet this wonderful girl, and she and I hit it off. We date for a while. It's time to meet her family. So I get to go back to her apartment and meet her mom. She didn't tell me her mom collected porcelain dolls. <laughs> I step into the house, and there's a clown. A porcelain clown sitting on a little bench right by where you take your shoes off. I stopped. I didn't go in. I got shaky. I forgot how to speak German. And she couldn't figure out what's going on. So I tell her. Eventually, in the hallway, door closed. I'm scared of por porcelain dolls. You need to, like, hide it. Oh, okay. Oh, sure. She goes in, closes the door, stand outside, watch my watch. Couple minutes. Okay. Couple more minutes. Is this, like, a breakup? <laughs> <laughs> Love you, too. <laughs> 17 minutes, the door opens. You said to hide them all. Come on in. She had to put all of them into one room. I was curious at that point. I had to peek. <laughs> <laughs> it was House on the Freaking Rock Part 2. <laughs> um, her mom's weird. <laughs> I don't, that's a lot of money. Porcelain dolls aren't cheap, but she had clowns. She had puppies. She had baby dolls pushing baby dolls. <laughs> I don't know how people live with themselves. I, I, can't, I can't grasp this. So that's fine. We get through the night. I don't ever go back ever again. And I come back to the States, that relationship ends. I mean, I'm in college, whatever. And, and so I take Psych 101, have a really cool professor. We're talking, and he finds out I'm scared of porcelain dolls. He brings a porcelain doll into the next class just to see what reaction he can get out of me. That was the first and only time I missed his class. <laughs> to this day, I have baby daughters. They have dollies, they have G.I. Joes, I collect G.I. Joes and action figures. I cannot approach a porcelain doll. They scare me, something fierce. And I've seen all the horror movies about, oh crap, skull, open, demon. No, I don't, I'm not sure that's how it really works. I think they are just evil. And 
That is my horror story. Thanks for sharing yours. Thank you so much for coming out, Jared, to do the show. I also want to say, Jared gave me, the I, really, I think, the best compliment I've ever gotten about your stories, which is you used to work with um, younger, like, troubled youths, and uh, he would play our podcast in class for some of the kids who were, like, kind of nerdy and felt, like, shunned to say, like, oh, it can get better. You could be an idiot like this guy on stage one day. <laughs> I didn't mean to slam myself there. That's really genuinely very sweet. Thank you so much for sharing that, Jared. Uh, coming up next to the stage, we have uh, one of the co-authors of uh, Our Fair City, which is a podcast that we've represented here lots before. I love them. Also, the writer of the book An Unattractive Vampire, Jim McDonnell. Uh, because I am supremely uninteresting, I, I brought fiction. So none of this is true. All right. <clears throat> the Journal of Brother Umberto San Luca, 1360, translation. October the 17th. Yesterday was the Feast of All Souls. No Mass was held. The people were, are too afraid. And there's no one to officiate since Father Rossi died. So I privately say prayers for those we've lost, and I ask God why. Why has he inflicted us with the plague again? What great sin have we committed, and what penance can atone for it? A letter arrived this morning from Bishop Avocati. I'm to travel to a village called Di Dolore. The sisters of the convent there have fallen ill, and there's no one left to care for them or perform last rites. And so they send me. October the 25th. I have arrived in Di Dolore. The town is abandoned. No one about the streets or fields. No smoke coming from chimneys despite the chill. They're all dead or gone. Only four of the sisters remain in the convent, and they all have the plague. Sister Justina has been seeing to the others, preparing meals, applying leeches, burying the dead. I cannot imagine how she had the strength to tend to them all this time. Now that I am here, she can rest and recover, God willing. October the 27th. Two of the sisters died in the night. Their ends were unlike any I have witnessed. There's a certain peace to the death of a plague victim, a relief for both sufferer and healer. These women felt no peace. They flailed, they clawed at their skin, and they screamed. They screamed until their final breath, over and over the same word, Carcosa. I asked Sister Justina about it, and she confirmed that the others who died before my arrival mentioned Carcosa in their death throes. However, she does not know what it means. October the 28th, I buried the sisters today. The others could not attend. They are both too weak to leave their beds. I have begun searching through the convent library for a reference to this Carcosa. As of yet, no luck. October the 29th. I coughed all last night. It was bound to happen sooner or later. We who tend this illness almost always fall victim ourselves. I've long tried to prepare myself for it, but... It is only Justina and I now. The other sister died this afternoon. She had lost the ability to speak, but still scratched Carcosa into the walls of her cell until her, until her fingernails were gone. There must be a reason. 
October the 30th. Success. I found a reference in a yellowed and rotting text, some sort of apocrypha. Oh, after reading it, I wonder as it, as to it being kept all these years, it is practically heretical. The parts I could make out spoke of a lakeside kingdom where dwells a king with no name. A kingdom called Carcosa. An allegory for heaven, perhaps? Were the sisters pleading to an uncaring god with their final breaths? I showed Justina the text. She says she has never seen it. It must have belonged to one of the other sisters. October 31st. I spent the morning by the lake. It's quiet there. Not like the quiet of the dead village or convent. There's still sounds, lapping waves, the rustle of trees in the wind. It remains a place of life. If... When my time comes, I want it to be there, not in one of these dark, humid cells. I pray I have the strength to make it. I told Justina of my trip to the lake. I wanted her to experience the peace I had. She insisted Di Dolore has no lake. The sickness is finally affecting her mind. November the 2nd. The screams began last night. Justina does not have long. I've been able to make out more of the rotted text. There's one passage in particular I find interesting. We sail upon the tide of souls to lost and unremembered Carcosa, where sickness lies, where eternal dies, where memory cries Carcosa. November the 3rd. Justina's suffering does not end. I had to help her close her mouth. She had dislocated her jaw, screaming. I pray to God he ends his torture soon. November the 5th. I am alone. I buried Justina down by the lake. The nameless king promises to take care of her. November the 8th. I can read the book now. Why did I once call it old and rotten? It's clearly new, though smudged in a few places from careless copying. The entire history of Carcosa laid out plain as day. I could travel there if I had the strength. November the 13th. I understand. Carcosa cannot be forgotten. Carcosa must be forgotten. It will not stay lost. It must not be found. Tomorrow I travel to dread shores. I will kneel before the nameless king with his grace be cured. Tomorrow I will not die. November the 14th. Carcosa. Dear Megan, let me start by saying it is a pleasure to be your advisor for this translation. Your work thus far has been exemplary and far above that of most graduate students. I look forward to seeing what you can do with those burnt pages once we uh, have them digitally reconstructed. Who knows? Maybe they contain the identity of this nameless king. Needless to say, your place is waiting for you once you return from medical leave. Hope you feel better. Professor Lanaya Stockton, Head of Latin and Medieval Studies. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. That was fantastic. Trying to steal my notes. 
It's okay. I think I can remember the name of this last speaker. Guys, we are down to one person left tonight. It has been so fun. I'm uh, really happy to introduce this next speaker. She also helped us book this evening. So a lot of the people that you saw on stage were because of her, which is super great. Uh, she has a daily horror movie podcast every October called Scare Blast. A lot of the people have been on that show. Um, she also is a part of the Probe Show with our uh, Nerdalog's own Mary Beth Smith, which is this like wonderful... <laughs> oh, this that this wonderful kind of like that yeah, was spooky. Anyway, it's kind of like this serialized take on like a high school election. It's very funny, very well produced. This is Lisa Burton. Hi everyone. So what I'm about to tell you um, is a, <clears throat> a little nerve wracking for me to um, get out because um, I've recently come to understand that what I once thought as a coincidental grouping of events um, may actually be um, something more than that. And I am going to share my story with you. So as you can see in this first slide, <laughs> this is a true-to-life stereotypical haunting experience, you know, like the type you experience in the movies, except it's my real life. <laughs> Uh, let's see if I can click this to the next one. So every good haunting starts with moving into a new house. Every great ghost story starts that way. I moved into this home on Foster Avenue in uh, just two years ago. So I've been there for a little while now. Um, in a true-to-life ghost story, you don't hear all of the background music and you don't get all of the... Um, you know, time lapse that happens with everything. So I'm going to kind of try and truncate the last couple of years into this one story. To get to know me a little bit, my name is Lisa Burton. I um, am a biology major. Again, I believe that seeing is believing. I, um, I also love ghost stories, and I love haunting stories. Tonight has been a dream. I, um, I also love history, and... Um, I've also been divorced in the last three years, um, and so I've been going through a divorce. It's been kind of tough, but getting through it. And um, I've also been sick for about two months now. Uh, I've been back and forth to the doctor, and they haven't quite figured out what it is. It feels like a prolonged cold, but um, I've been coughing a lot. And as you can hear through the program tonight, I'm really sorry for the listener. <laughs> You've heard me coughing um, through a couple of the stories, or at least subdued coughing. So this is my house. So to give you an idea of where I live, this is a map from 1889 of my neighborhood. I live in the Andersonville neighborhood. That little dot in the middle, the little red dot, is uh, my house. And then, please don't stalk me. Then um, <laughs> the little cemetery um, up north, that's Rose Hill Cemetery. Down south, there's Bonifacius Cemetery. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Kill me if I'm not. And then down, down south here, Graceland Cemetery. So I'm surrounded by cemeteries. Also, this area and Chicago as a whole um, used to be inhabited hundreds of years ago by um, Native American cultures, of course. Um, the research that I've done, the two Native American cultures most prominent in this area were the Miami tribe and the Iroquois. And the, they each deal with death a little bit differently. The Miami tribe, when a family member or someone dies, they would build large scaffolding and hang the bodies in the scaffolding, or they would take the body and hang it in a tree. That was so that that person's spirit could find the path 
to heaven a little more easily or the path to the, the greener pasture on the other side. That path would be um, wrought with temptations. And if they were to stray from the path, they would be stuck in limbo for all eternity. And limbo uh, in many cultures is also known as like earth. And so their spirit would wander the earth for all of eternity. The Iroquois uh, took the afterlife a little bit differently. So in their culture, when their dead would die, they would wait to have more than one dead so that they would bury them together in a group so that those people weren't completely alone in the afterlife. As recent as 2013, Rose Hill Cemetery, um, they were doing some excavating for a nature preserve, and they found not only burial mounds, but also artifacts in those burial mounds. And the Iroquois were also known to bury artifacts with their dead to help facilitate that transition. So this is the photo of a dead bird that I took. (laughs) And over the course of the last two years, I've encountered a number of dead birds. What this means, I don't know. But um, this is actually a bird that I sent to Brad Einstein when he was taking pictures of dead birds a few years or a couple years ago. And um, this uh, most recently, last weekend, um, I was house sitting for a family and there was a sparrow that kept hitting the back window. And I went to the back window and the sparrow would not stop hitting the back window. It was nearly conked out. And so went out back, took the sparrow out of the yard. Also, two days ago, I was babysitting for a family, and we came across a dead hummingbird. I've come across a number of these dead birds over the course of the last year. This is a spider. (laughs) This spider was outside my house. Now my home, uh, a couple of years back, I guess, my roommate divulged this information to me that she had to spray because uh, in the basement they had an infestation of... Um, black widow spiders, which are not typically a Chicago spider, um, but they were infested. And so every few months we get the house sprayed, the orchid man comes, Steve, I know him by name. Um, this is not a black widow spider. However, this spider struck me as odd. He was like hanging out in the doorway. I moved him aside from the door and the next day, here's my front door looking out the door. If you can see that little speck right above the doormat, he had built himself a web all the way across the door. <laughs> so he was like, no, fuck no, you are not getting out of this house today. Um, I don't care for spiders. I don't not like them. They're just not my favorite. So, uh, And across the, the way, you can also see Ebenezer Church has a long sorted history in the neighborhood. My home was built in 1925. The church across the street was built in 1908, as was the school on the corner. The whole area was occupied by Swedish residents after the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. This is a close-up of that spider. Jesus, holy Christ. That spider is scary. Okay. Um, This is a photograph of the inside of my room. Please pardon how messy it is. This room, um, I live in every single day. And uh, what I'm about to show you is an event that happens with some frequency to me. So I also have been having bad dreams lately and waking up and not getting a whole lot of sleep. It's probably why this cold is prolonged. But the um, the other night, uh, excuse me, the other afternoon, um, I began a recurring dream that I've been having lately where I'll walk down a path 
and there are kids on the sides. And if I don't wake myself up before they grab me, they will grab me off the path and tear me apart and like eat my insides. And when I wake up from that dream, I see this. So I don't know if you can see this, um, but the next photo I'm going to show you will show you in a little more stark contrast because sometimes this happens when I come home from a late night or, um, uh, yeah, when I come home at night. So this one, the, the window is open and everything, but uh, this is what I come home to. What you're looking at here is my walk-in closet, and I want you to know that I'm a scientist, and I have checked the electricity, and I write down when I turn off the light, and then I write down when I see the light in my closet. And this occurrence happens about three to five times a week, depending on the day or the night. Um, and I'm going to show you one more little clearer version of that. So this last photo is one that I staged, but the other two are not. Those were instances where that had happened. Um, and now I'd like to open it up a little bit because I honestly don't know what to do. And I'd like to know your opinion or if you have any advice. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Let's get, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, but really, does anyone have any ideas or thoughts? Have you ever felt threatened? Have I ever felt threatened? That's a good question. Not necessarily, but I have felt a pressure on my chest. I usually like decide that it's anxiety or that I am like nervous. Um, and it often will happen when that light comes on in my room. I don't generally feel threatened in my room. Any other questions or thoughts? Have you tried just unscrewing the light bulb? Have I tried on? Yeah. yeah. Just leaving it a light bulb not in there? I haven't, uh, only because I enjoy having the light when I need it. But that is uh, an excellent point, <laughs> one that I could absolutely use. Anything else? Cool. Well, if I don't die within the next two weeks, uh, then I'll see you again. And if I do die in the next two weeks, I hope that you will take my body and put it up in a tree so that I can see <laughs> the way to heaven. Thanks so much. Lisa Burton, everybody. That was real scary. Oh, my gosh. You guys freaked me out tonight. I actually scare really easily, so we'll see how I sleep tonight. Thanks, everybody. Now, for real, this is a really, really great night. Let's get Dwight, Claire, Jim back up to the stage. Yeah. I love my hey, so we got one more song. Jim, uh, my grandmother used to collect, or collects. That's uh, Jared. Jared, sorry. This is Jared. That's Jim. That's Jim. Jim's up there, I'm sorry. Jim. My grandmother used to collect uh, porcelain dolls, and she gave me one nope. years back. It's about this big. Um, it scared the hell out of me, and I left it at one of my old apartments because I couldn't take it with me because one of the things my roommate used to do was go down in our, our storage space, get it when I was out of town, put it on a chair in my room, and I would open it and duct tape a knife to it. <laughs> Is terrifying. So like, I, it was like supposed to be like, oh, I, I'm giving this gift to you because I love you, and I just, I'm sorry, Grandma, I left it there. I could not take that thing. If you ever see that thing again, you're for real gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So there's an abandoned doll. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Potentially with a knife taped to its hand. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, All right, yeah. here's our last song, cool. guys. Stories is a proud part of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you enjoy your stories, you might also like Alka Hollywood. Clint, Jared, and a guest talk about one movie each week, old or new, good or bad, and create a custom cocktail and drinking game around that movie. For more information, go to alkahollywood.com. 
This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.